0: Hello everyone, my name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we're looking at the subject of grace. I've uh, been done, doing so for the last three weeks, i have got two more weeks to go. Have you been enjoying the layer cake of grace? Been looking at, so the first layer, week one, um, that the grace of the Lord Jesus overflows to us because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners, we all have a past. We all have a past. And so those of us who know Jesus are grateful that he's washed us from the sins of our past. But he comes for sinners. Layer 2. He saved us not because of our works, but because of his purpose and his grace, which he gave to us in Christ before times eternal. So, before our past, those of us who are in Christ have a past. Before times eternal, he chose us in him. And gave us grace then. Back then before we were even a twinkle in our mother's or father's eye. Third layer. The grace of Christ Jesus towards us empowers us to be able to speak of Jesus, believe the promises of God and stand firm against the enemy. So we're looking at the, where grace comes up in the letters of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. And um, today we're on to Titus. We're going to look at chapter 2 of Titus. It'll come up in a moment. The context is, is that Paul is uh, writing to a man called Titus that he's uh, sent to Crete. And um, Titus's job on Crete is to move from town to town where churches have been established. And to straighten things out if they if, if it's going a bit funny, and to establish good local leadership on that island. So that's what Titus is doing in Crete, and Paul is writing to him and instructing him how to do that. And just before the, today's passage, he's been talking about the way that people should relate to one another, particularly older men, older women, younger men, young women, because the church, the primary illustration for the church in the Bible, is that it's the family, the household of God. And so how we learn to relate to one another as brothers and sisters, and we relate to older brothers and sisters, younger brothers and sisters, spiritual mums and dads and sons and daughters in the Lord is really, really important. Um, and Paul gives some good time to that. So that's what, he's, that's what he's just spoken about. And then we get to verse 11 of chapter 2, which uh, if we could have the slide up, please. Rebecca, we'll, we'll read that. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, ungodly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Father, thank you for these words and um, thank you, Lord. I just do sense over this week that you've been really stirring some particular elements of this passage. And I thank you that you have a plan for these words today, that you really want them to go home. You really want these to land in the right spot, and so I do pray for help in that. And I pray for all those that are listening, Lord, that you'd give them ears to hear what you're saying. Um, just pray for your mercy over this time, Lord. Your mercy, all aware, Lord, that we are flawed. I'm a flawed speaker, and we're flawed listeners. So please help us, Lord, to really get to the heart of what you're saying. Amen. Amen. The grace of God has appeared. It's appeared. It's shone out. That's kind of the idea behind the word. It's where we get our word "epiphany" from. Wow, that's shining out. The grace of God has shone into a dark world. The Bible says, talking about Jesus is coming, that the light has shined in, has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus coming into the world is the light coming into um, a system that has become darkened. Darkened through rebellion, darkened through sin, darkened through our own kind of willful ways and evil desires that the the whole world lies in darkness. The Bible says, but Jesus, the light of the world, shone in. And and Paul is saying, the grace of God has appeared. He thinks of the coming of Jesus and he says, the grace of God. You see the grace of God in the coming of Jesus Christ. He's he's come in, he's appeared. um, And as he goes on, it becomes clearer and clearer that the grace of God is something that is personified. We mustn't. It's always tricky with words like love and grace because we kind of have our own understanding of what they mean, right? And then we can read that understanding onto the text. So someone says God is love. If you've, un- if you've got your own understanding of what love is, you can say, okay, therefore God is like that. But really what you're doing is you're saying love is God. You're saying my view of love, that's what God's like. No, no. God is love and then what we read about God shows us this is what love is. You see the difference? We mustn't bring our own kind of definition of what words mean. So like, oh, that's what God's like. No, no, no. God is, God is, God is love and this is, what, this is what it looks like. The grace of God has appeared. This is what it looks like. Jesus. So, so when Jesus says things like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. That's the grace of God. But actually also, you know, when he says things that are a little bit harder to hear, that's also the grace of God. It's God's gracious, even though it can come across and it feels more like judgment. Actually, when God says harsh things and tough things for us now, it's to rescue us from going down the wrong road so that we can live in the good of his heart for us. That, that's his heart when he's so when Jesus sort of says, you know, if you don't if you don't take the things you do wrong seriously, if you don't take your sins seriously and repent, then 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 that's gonna lead you to the outer darkness. You're going to be cast into the outside. You don't want to go there. That's the grace of God. That's Jesus saying, we've got to talk about this. Where, where you're living, that goes somewhere. We want to rescue you from that. And it's like, if no one ever says anything when someone's walking down the wrong road, it's not really loving. It's not really gracious, you see. So even when he speaks in these things that are hard to hear, that's the grace of God to us. It's wow, the grace of God has appeared and he's not willing to just let us walk off cliffs. I remember this moment once with the kids, we were down in the Sussex Eastbourne near them. What's that place called? Beachy Head. And we were, we were near the cliffs. There's no fences and things. You know. we were, I said, let's look over the edge, guys. So I said, what we do, we'll do, we'll lie on our bellies and we'll crawl to the edge. So, uh, responsible dad I am. So we lie on our bellies. We crawl to the edge. And I remember the moment where I put my head over and you suddenly realise like, where you are and what you've done. And I don't know how big the drop is. Hundreds of feet, sheer drop down to the, suddenly the sea crashing against the rocks. And in that moment my whole tone changed. I said, move back. <laughs> Keep your belly to the floor. Move back. It was like a whole change of personas. Like, what's come over that guy? I suddenly realised what I'd done. Sometimes God's tone can come across quite like, whoa. Wait, don't don't start spreading rumors, Mrs. Uh, God's tone is sometimes very strong. You think, oh, why? Because you don't want to go off there. And you know what? If you carry on, you actually will. It's not make-believe. It's not, it's not fun and games. You actually will. And so this is the grace of God appearing in all, these different, in all these different ways. When Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead, that's the grace of God. When he reaches out and touches the leper, it's the grace of God. When he refuses to talk to King Herod, it's the grace of God. It shows us, it teaches us, it helps us understand that if you keep on and keep on, you can get to a point where you're just, you're not going to hear him anymore. It's the grace of God. When he cuts down the Pharisees sarcastically, it's the grace of God that helps you realise, you know what, if you're, going to, if you're going to start living bad and then acting like a leader and drawing others into bad stuff, he's going to have some really sharp words to say to you. And We've got to let Jesus be Jesus, right? Otherwise we end up, we create our own one. He's never going to be as good as the real one. Because he's Jesus. This is the grace of God appearing. We must not take on board a culturally imported version of grace. Let, let him be who he is. He is altogether lovely. He is full of grace and truth. He will not mislead you. He will not deceive you. You can trust your life into his hands. The grace of God goes way beyond sentiment and empty words. Just be nice to people. So, so much more deeper than that. So let's look at how Paul describes it. He says this he says, appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What it means is this, is that Jesus is, there's something very generous about Jesus coming where the whole thing opens up and Jesus says things like, whosoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. What a, what a statement. There are these broad statements Jesus throws out. They're just like, you try, and find a, you try and find a little asterisk and a get out clause, it's not there. You try and find the small print, it's not there. Whosoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. You come to Jesus as Lord. You come to Jesus wanting to to really know he will not cast you out. It's incredible. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued. It's like these vast fishing nets going out and they just gather in whatever's there. This is the generosity of God. It's the grace of God. It's not God just going, well, we we'll, 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 well, what we'll do, Jesus? We'll just do this little narrow thing here. No, no, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says to his disciples, go into the whole world. Make disciples of all nations. This thing is for every tribe, tongue, and nation. Can you see the generosity in the heart of God? It's the grace of God. Generosity. It's glorious. It's beautiful. But then it goes on. He says, it's bringing salvation for, for all people, training us to renounce or say no to ungodliness, and worldly passions. This is fascinating. The grace of God teaches you, trains you. The word is it, there's, there, there's numbers of words in the Bible for sort of teaching and training. Didascos is a normal one for sort of instruction, teaching. This is a different word, and it's more about training, perhaps in the way that you would bring up a child. You don't just tell them what's right and what's wrong; you show them how to do it. When the grace of God comes into our life, He kind of Jesus living in us t- trains us in terms of how to say no to the nonsense. How to say no to the darkness. How to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We all know about ungodliness and worldly passions, don't we? We all understand the battle of being a disciple, but living with the reality of a very seductive world and certain things inside of us that cry out to get involved in that. The Bible says this, you know what? The grace of God will train you to say no. What a gift. Because that stuff leads you to slavery. It leads you to slavery to your own appetites, leads you to slavery and to sin. It's a cruel master. It gives a nice, happy offer and invite, but it's a cruel master once you're in It does not bring freedom. The grace of God trains you to say no. It's very, very encouraging. It's a little bit like the grace of God makes a man or a woman out of you. It won't let you stay as a boy or a girl. Matures you, brings you to a place where you can say no to the things you want to say no to and yes to the things and not find yourself saying yes to things. You're thinking, why am I saying yes? You know that moment? You're thinking, why am I saying yes to this? You think, there's, where's the power to say no? The grace of God will train you. Or saying no to things where in your spirit you know, I should be there, should be doing that, should be investing there. Praise God that His grace trains us not to live these conflicted lives, but where we can say, I'm going for that. And I'm not going to have any regrets. We grow into that by the grace of God. So good. Don't you love him? You're no longer dominated just by the current age or popular opinion or peer pressure. True freedom, the grace of God gives us. He goes on, he says he trains us to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age. This whole whole sort of, uh, how can I describe this, privileged calling of being salt and light. Of bringing that flavour of Christ wherever we go where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and then he says, you're the light of the world. You say, hold on a minute, well, can we just redo that? Because you just said that you're something, and then you said that we're the same thing. That's scary. How does that work? Jesus said, this is my destiny for you. i am not just come to show you how amazing I am. I've come to, I've come to infuse your life with my presence, so that you can, you can become to this world what I am to it. You think, wow. That's what the grace of God does. This is the power of the gospel, folks. Please hear this. Please understand. This is the power of the gospel. This is supernatural. This is God at work. And if, if you will engage with this, you watch what God does. You know, I've, I can't quote this as well as it was originally quoted, but hopefully the sens- sentiment will come across. A Christian leader was making a comment on how people are often sort of saying things like, well, I, just, I don't know the presence of God in the way that I would like. I want to know more of the presence of God. And his comment was, this, like, he said, I wonder if God wants to know more of our presence. I wonder if actually it's not so much about that, but it's about how present are we to him? How present am I to him? Mind, soul, emotions, will, body, how present am I to him? I found it a very helpful challenge, very helpful because I thought, do you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to fall into that thing of somehow he's, he's not doing quite what he said he is because you know what, there's, there's so many things I could just <laughs> list off to you about my approach which could do with some work. Why don't I just do that and watch his faithfulness. He's so faithful. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. It's not that he's, he won't take initiative, but he, there's, Jesus draws us into this two-way relationship where we're rescued from this passivity. He says, come on, I want, to, I want us to run together. I want us to walk together. And so us showing willing, us being present to him in that way is actually vital for that relationship to actually mature. You know what our destiny is, right? We're, the, we're going to be the bride of Christ. Imagine an awful situation in a marriage where it just felt really one way. Husband was always dragging the wife along or thinking, man, there's nothing coming back here. It's just like, it's so passive. What an awful idea. In a healthy marriage, you want there to be this wonderful, this dynamic interplay where both are bringing all that they are into this relationship and making it work. I mean, it's wonder, isn't it, of of relationships like that and other dynamic friendships where you feel like this isn't just one way. God, God steps in when we're dead and raises us from the dead. But you know, once he's raised us from the dead by his grace, he says, now you're alive, let's live together. You're not a corpse anymore. I've raised you from the dead by my grace. Let's run together. Let's co-labor. Wow. This is the grace, that's what it does. It goes on. Trains us to be patient and expectant. Because he goes on and he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So the grace trains us in these things to also be, we become expectant people brimming with hope. We're looking for his return. We're longing for it. We're praying it in. We're not somehow hoping he won't come back too soon because I've got some really cool stuff lined up in the next few months. And Any of you relate to that? Or maybe you just don't. No, you don't relate to it because you don't even think about it. The return of Jesus will usher in life to the full, unbridled. right? All, all, the, th- all the good stuff that we love about life, fully uh, released from the curse of futility, uh, the liberty of the, the freedom, of the glory of the children of God. The Bible uses words like that. All of creation is on tiptoes waiting for that day so it can, we can be liberated into full, full experience of what God's brought for us. It's not some bizarre, disconnected, ethereal thing over there is fullness of life. And we learn to become anticipating in that and hopeful people so that even, even as the challenges of life press in and stuff, we're not, that's not what's at the end of the horizon. We, 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 we taste glory on the end of the horizon. And so then Paul begins to unpack how the grace of God has appeared in this way. Verse 14, we're going to finish unpacking this verse. Who gave himself for us. That's what the first thing Jesus did. He gave himself for us. The, the scripture that Rich quoted at the end of the praise and the singing. Very, very you know, sk- someone, oh, what? Romans 5. Dan, scarcely will do that thing you do. Do that thing you do. Will you become a commentary? Um, yes, yeah, the one. <laughs> Belt it out, mate. Belt it out. Scarcely will one die, um, die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah! Yeah. Hallelujah! It's better to carry Dan around than a, phone, a bubble on your phone because you keep getting interrupted with the bubble on your phone. With Dan's great. There's no text coming through. Just say, hey, Dan, what's that verse? We don't really do that. That would, that would be wrong. Um, that's the love of God for you. He gave himself. You know when someone hurts you and you attract? We kicked and spurned the holy, powerful God of all creation who gives us every breath as a gift and he gave himself for us. That's his response. That's the love of God. That's incredible. That is big hearted. That's extraordinary. That's sacrifice. That's costly. That is the love of God. Jealous, pursuing, transforming love. He gave himself for us. Hallelujah. To redeem us from all lawlessness. He has brought us back from the chaos of where our sin goes. You know, that's where it goes. You get into sin, you end up in chaos. He has redeemed us from all lawlessness. All the, all the mad stuff we try and do to prove that, oh, aren't we autonomous? We can do our own thing. I'm the captain of my destiny. I'll just do this. I, I've got free will. I, I'll just do that what I want to do. I'll follow my appetites into that. He comes in his mercy and he says, I want to redeem you and buy you back from all the death that that has brought. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's what he does. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now I've got you. You're mine. And I'll never let you go. And I covenant to do you good. And I love you with an everlasting love. Now you are mine. I want to purify you and clean you up from the inside out. It's the gospel. And this is what I want to focus on. We're going to end on this one: a people zealous for good works. Now, it's extraordinary because one of our layers in the cake so far is that we've not been saved because of our works, but because of his purpose and his grace. And so we can get a bit nervous around works. The Bible doesn't get nervous around works. It just wants us to be very, very clear. You are not saved by them. Amen? You are saved for them. Amen? Slightly quieter. Shouldn't have been slightly nor muted response it's your destiny your destiny is good works it is your destiny in god to do good works i'm going to show you a few scriptures just unpack it help you see the bible says that you've been created in christ jesus for good works prepared in advance for you to do wow Created So the, the, the new creation that you are in Christ is for good works which God has prepared in advance. It is his blessing to you that you, he has lined up good works for you to do. It's something that we are to run into with our whole heart. And it's every, everything from uh, the way we are indoors, the way we are with our neighbours, the way we are in the workplace, the way we are in our church family, infused with glorious good works. And I really want to preach it today because I, I really want to... I feel the Lord wants to use me to just be like a bit of a... Those blower things, people blow, they blow leaves around the street. Just to blow out any kind of leaves around good works where you're just a bit like, uh, no, yes! 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 Good works. I'll show you some more scriptures. God got hold of Abraham and says, I'm going I'm to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing. And you, through you, every nation on the planet, every people group will be blessed. What a promise. And the Bible is clear that the fulfilment of that is through his seed, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ fulfils that promise to be a blessing through his people, the church. And so that promise is our promise. We are called to be a blessing to every people group on the planet. That is our destiny, brothers and sisters. That is is not to be shrunk back from. That is to be embraced. God has fitted you out to have specific purpose in that. God has lined up your life so that at different seasons that will express itself in different ways, but we are called to be a blessing to every people group on the planet. Wow. Listen to the way the Apostle Peter describes the life of Jesus. I love this scripture. Acts 10 verse 38, he's describing the life of Jesus. He says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Do you like that? What a description of a life. Anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Going about doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Christian, you're called to be a little Christ, anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. So that you can go about doing... put those leaves out, doing good and healing those oppressed by the devil, for God's with us. Spirit of the Lord is upon us; He's anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. It's our destiny, brothers and sisters. It's what we do, different ways, using different gifts. God puts us in different settings, different contexts. He gives others big profile; others, it's very low profile, hidden. But it's all the same thing, and, there's, and the value between it is all the same. It's just about being faithful with what He's given you. That's what you're judged on. You're not judged on whether how you know, many, you're judged on were you faithful with what He gave you. Another scripture. James chapter 2, verse 14. Classic. Good old James. It'd be right to hang out with him for 10 minutes, but after that, you, you'd need a break, wouldn't you? <laughs> what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? Imagine him. You're in Starbucks having a coffee and he started and you're like, <laughs> uh, That West have got a fascinating new uh, advertising campaign and the, the catchline is, you are, you are what you do. It's very provoking. It's very provoking. It's like, wow, this is lots of biblical truth in here. It's really, it really is quite something. It's quite moving. Um, James says, I'll show my, my faith by what I do. And he goes on to say, you, you say you believe in God, would the demons believe there's a God? Oops, what's, what's the difference? He gets under our skin, you see, because God wants you to know, listen, this is what we are called to do. What, what God is rescuing us from is this. God is rescuing us from self-obsessed Western secular individualism, which kills the soul and destroys all those around you. God is rescuing you from a Christianity that is brought into that, whereby basically what you do, you're just looking to have a nice, easy, comfortable life, and when you get a spare moment, do something good. Rather than saying, I am destined... I am destined to honour Christ and do good to others. There's an old-fashioned acronym for joy, isn't it? Jesus, others, you. Do you believe that? The Bible suggests that's the way to joy. Jesus first, put him first. Then others, then you. Do you believe it? It helps us to know what to do with our resources. Christians get so mixed up on money, don't they? Money, some churches, all they talk about and it's prosperity gospel. Others never talk about it. And no, let's take a vow of poverty. What, what, What does God teach about money? Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. It's very straightforward. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If you want to abound in every good work, God can trust you with finances. He can entrust you with big finance if you are determined that your destiny is to do good works with it. If it's not, then I'd question whether you're a trustworthy pair of hands. So money is, God is cool with money. God is not cool with the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It sends people into all kinds of temptations and pangs and snares, 1 Timothy says. But if you, if you want to become a conduit, a, a, a blessing to the nations with finance, then to seek God for finance is no bad thing at all. And the best way to do it is to start is by being faithful with what you've got. Being a blessing with your money. Learn it, learn it, brothers and sisters. Learn it. You can't learn it except by doing it. You can't learn how to pray except by praying. You can't learn how to witness except by witnessing. you can read a hundred books a year on it. Till you do it, you won't learn how to do it. You just got to get on with it. Give. Whatever local church you are a part of, be committed to giving to that local church. Why? Because you're bought in. If you're not, find a church you can buy in and invest. Good works, it's our destiny. Any leaves left in there? This one will blow some more out. Isaiah 58. I've got loads of time. (laughs) The nervous laughter from the congregation. I love that. Here we go. Isaiah 58. Just a couple more. Listen to this. Wow. Do you believe God's promises? Listen to this. Oh my goodness. (sighs) Is this not the fast that I choose to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, cover him. Not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. And righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, that's oppression, the pointing of the finger, accusation, and speaking wickedness. If you pour out yourself for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins will be rebuilt and you'll raise up the foundations of many generations and you'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You think, wow, God, this is what we want, right? God says, love the poor. Love the poor. First and foremost, those of the poor that are among us. Take responsibility. We Take responsibility. Learn how to do that. Learn to keep an eye out for those among us, in our number, who are poor. And we be generous. And then from that we move on. Things like Food Bank and CAP and the other various initiatives that we're starting. This is the heart of God. so why we're doing it. And God says, this is what you're made for. This is what you're made for. It's a privilege. Don't need to be an inconvenience. It's a privilege. It's an honour. It's an honour to go on a cat visit. It's an honour to serve at food bank. Don't let it become an inconvenience. Don't let it become something you grit your teeth and get through. It's your destiny to do good. It's your destiny to, to be a blessing to your family. Learn how to do that well. Family relationships, wider family relationships can be so complex. <laughs> they can be so complex, can't they? You think, Lord, you, you, you want me to be good in this situation. Not because I get saved by it, but because you've saved me for it. I want to walk in this. Maybe just one more. Galatians 6 verse 9. Because this one's really just, do you think it sounds tiring? It sounds like a tiring life. Listen to what Paul says. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Because you can, can't you? You can grow weary. Of course you can. You think, oh, giving, giving, giving. You have seasons like that, don't you? you think, I'm giving, giving, giving. <laughs> inviting, inviting, inviting. Not much is coming back. You have seasons like that. Sowing, sowing, sowing. Where's the harvest? We all know, we, we can all relate to this. Paul says, Paul, under, he says it because he understands, not because he's mean. He says it because he understands. Just don't grow weary. <laughs> you can get weary. You think, oh, I'll do it again? He says, don't, don't, don't go rear. He says, listen, it's quite it's important. He says, he says, in due season, we will reap. <laughs> They're having a great time, aren't they? In due season, we will reap. So this first, we will reap. It shows you that it is an investment. Don't become super spiritual. Oh, yes, I'm investing, but you know, Lord, really, I, I really don't need a harvest. Jesus motivates by saying, invest in eternal things and your reward will be great. If Jesus will motivate you that way, don't try and be more spiritual than Jesus. It's not wise. (laughs) Oh no, really Lord, I couldn't possibly. Don't do that. That's not godly. That's not kingdom. That's just kind of... False humility, cultural kind of timidity. No, no, no. Jesus says, listen, go he says, invest in heaven. He doesn't say why. Well, because that's really spiritual. No. He says if you invest all your stuff on earth, it goes rusty, it gets stolen. He's just being really wise. He says, why would you invest all your stuff? That's crazy. Invest in eternal things because the rust won't get to it, it won't get stolen. You're gonna have an amazing eternal reward. Right? It's okay to be motivated by that. You think, well, why Why does God love that? Because it demonstrates great faith. God loves faith. So actually believe you, Lord, actually believe in eternity, actually believe that you're going to reward every good deed. That's amazing faith. God loves that. So Paul says, don't go away. You will reap if we don't give up. If we don't, because the temptation to give up is real. The temptation to say, do you know what? I've run out of steam. Some, we, we get there for different reasons. Sometimes we, we run out of steam because, you know what, all the, all the lights were flashing on the dashboard, but we didn't tell anyone. We just, oh, just carry on. We weren't wise. We didn't go for counsel. Or sometimes we run out of steam because, you know what, we're good at giving, but we actually can't receive. And so we, there's something in us. We, 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 there's this kind of mental block. It's a spiritual issue, but we actually cannot receive. And so we just give, give, give. And then suddenly we think, well, what's going on here? And God says, actually, I was, I was, I was going to replenish you through those other people but you wouldn't receive it. You wouldn't let them in. You wouldn't let them bless. You wouldn't let them come around you. See? Ah, oh. okay. Yeah. So Paul says, Paul says, don't don't give up. Find ways, find ways of um, learning and drawing on him through his people and directly through him so you can persevere in this. Why? Because there's a massive harvest for you that will come in due time. And in due time. I tell you, I, I'm just so excited about the future. I, <laughs> I really am. I'm really excited about the future. Why? Because I'm, I'm just in, I'm investing in the kingdom and I'm really excited because I really am. I trust he's going to just give me all kinds of things um, and then when he gives me all the kinds of things, I can then just use them for his glory and it's going to be a really wonderful flow of just, it's going to be amazing. It's got to be. It's promised. It has to be. Uh, and so, it's a wonderful place to be. It's a wonderful place to live. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. You have to fight your fights and, you know, you have to, all the stuff. But I tell you, it's a great place to be. Because I just feel like, he, the Bible says, he is faithful to guard what I've entrusted to him. And every, everything I do for his glory is an entrustment I'm putting it in the bank. And he's faithful to guard it. And Jesus and he says, I'm coming soon. We'll end with this one. Revelation 22. Listen to this. Um, coming soon. Uh, (laughs) Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. I don't dread that. I'm thrilled about that. I'm thrilled about that. Why? Because by the grace of God, I'm committed to living a life of good works. I'm committed to it. By the great, and this is grace in me. Oh, this is this is supernatural. He's come to me, and I know it's, he's shown me. He's taught me in the Bible. This is what I'm made for. So Jesus is coming, and he's got his recompense, and he's going to repay me. And he's going to say, he's going to say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." That's what he's going to say to me. It's oh, a good place to live. And listen, it's not because I work for the church. It's got nothing to do with it. God assigns us different things wherever and wherever he assigns us. We say, Lord, I want to learn to really invest in your kingdom with this. And we say, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the grace of God.